Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Yes. Now we are in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Pastor, I want to thank you as always, Pastor and Pastora. That's Spanish for Pastor, for Lady Pastor, for allowing me to be here. It truly is coming home. Uh, so many people in this church I've known for, well, I've been in El Salvador 15 years, and I've known a lot of you. I'm not going to say how long because that might make you calculate my age, and we don't want to do that. So, um, <laughs> but a long time. So it, this is family. I do, I do feel like I'm here uh, with family tonight. Uh, when I come to this church and to see what the Lord is doing in this church, I do remember Ninth and Cedar. I do remember those small beginnings. But you know, if you're faithful in the small things, He will give you more. And there's more to come, Pastor. <laughs> There's more to come. So you guys just continue to be faithful. Um, I just want to uh, spend some time tonight talking about El Salvador. It's been 15 years that I've been there. Um, I think we have a, a video that we could, okay, go ahead and start that video. These are just photos of some of the things that are happening there uh, in El Salvador. Um, basically, El Salvador is now, let's say, uh, back to normal. We're open for ministry again. We've survived all that COVID stuff. Um, El Salvador hit, was hit really hard for that, and a lot of our ministry had to shut down during those two, two and a half years, but we're pretty much now uh, back to normal. Uh, all of our clinics are open, thank goodness, thank the Lord for that. Um, and for any of those who, do, who have not followed us, everything that we do is about sharing Jesus. So every one of our clinics are about sharing Jesus. All of our staff are Christian. They have to be able to win people to the Lord or they're not on our team. And so when we say where all our clinics are open, that means we're sharing Jesus in all of our clinics. Um, our six children feeding programs are back up and running again. That is huge for us to be able to bless those more than 250 kids every day with food. Um, our senior citizen program is back up and running again. That one was probably the one that took the longest to reopen, and I was totally fine with that. Uh, but the first time we met with our senior citizens group, we celebrated birthdays with them. We celebrated Christmas. We celebrated everything all together. And they were just so joyful and so excited to be able to be back together um, because they, we have like a hub place where we meet and they come from all these different villages around to meet with us. And so they hadn't seen each other, some of them in two years because they lived in different villages. So it was a great reunion time that we had with them uh, when we opened that program. We, our medical mobile unit, if you guys remember, we have a mobile unit that goes out. We are literally going all over El Salvador, and, and I've got the best team. I mean, I don't get to go every time that mobile unit goes out. Sometimes they get up and leave at like 4 in the morning to go to be ready to open a clinic by 8 o'clock in these remote areas that are just absolutely amazing where there's no, there's no, there's no health care, there's no hospitals for miles, there's not even like a clinic. And so we're able to go uh, partner with the local church, share the gospel, share Jesus, win souls. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? If we're not harvesting souls, then we're wasting our time. That's my personal belief. One of the things that also happened this year is we were able to graduate our first group of students from our Bible Institute. So this was a, this was a challenge for us and for our students. It was our first, first group. I actually told them in the beginning that they were our guinea pig group. And so um, they, they survived all of the changes and the transitions that we had to go through. We currently now are in the uh, evaluation stage about what does the next round look like. We, you know, we took a lot of comments. We took a lot of time with the students. What did, they, what did they feel like they learned? What did they feel like they didn't learn? What more do we need to, to expound on? All of these 
these kind of things that we had conversations with them. But some of their comments were so fascinating. And these are, these are teachers and leaders of churches in El Salvador. And one, one person said something that I'll never forget. It was a she. And she said, I've never seen the gospel that way. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, you know. So they're learning basic things because there's very, very few. There's, a, there's two or three uh, theological colleges in El Salvador, but they're run by the individual churches, and they're very expensive. And so uh, the people that we're trying to reach would never be able to afford to that to go to that. So we don't charge anything for the people to go to our Bible Institute. It's kind of a rigid uh, qualification process to get in, uh, but we're, we're committed to them. So we're excited about that. Um, so basically in El Salvador, all is well. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes. If any of you guys remember from the last umpteen years, 15 years that I've been here speaking at the church, we've always talked about um, the, the violence in the country and all of those kind of things. Well, I just want to say right now that El Salvador is a totally different country. And so um, right now there's no crime there's no crime happening. We haven't had a murder in weeks where we used to have 24 a day. So there's no crime. You guys can feel free to come. You're not going to get shot. You're not going to get kidnapped. All those exciting things that could have happened to you before are now not going to happen. So uh, we can put the mission trip together now, and it's perfectly safe, Pastor. So you can do that. Um, there's changes in the country as far as businesses are now staying open later. That didn't happen before because the gangs controlled the streets, the gangs controlled individual neighborhoods, the gangs controlled everything. And so neighborhoods are now staying, uh, businesses are now staying open later. So people are going out to eat later. We now have a Mr. Donut that's 24-7. We have two Denny's that are open 24-7. We never had that before. The other thing that's happening is that churches are now able to have evening services. So church in El Salvador would usually start at like 3 or 4 in the afternoon, even on a Sunday. There was no evening services because of the violence, and you couldn't be out in the streets at night because of the gang activity. So now churches are even have to, having to think differently about how can we do ministry differently. And so the, these things are happening. The whole climate of the country is shifting because there's, there's no crime. And so... Um, the reason there's no crime is because our president, um, last March, I'm sorry, not, Mar not March of 23, March of 22, he passed a law that uh, is a special law that was only supposed to be for 30 days, but it's now still in, in effect a year and almost three, four months later, that if you have any gang-related tattoos, you can be arrested and put in jail for 30 years. No questions asked. So it's not just any tattoo. You can have a butterfly. You can have those kind of things. But uh, tattoos are, are still very rare in El Salvador because they've always been gang-related. And so um, this is, it, the, the law is called belonging to an illegal group. So an illegal group is a gang. So our two major gangs were thirteen MS-13 and MS-18. And so as of this date, there have been more than 70,000 people arrested in El Salvador and put into prison. And they're going to be there for 30 years. Men and women, doesn't matter. Uh, there's no discrepancy in that. Um, our jails were about 32% overcrowded before this happened. So you can imagine now how overcrowded those jails are. Um, we don't have a lot of jails in El Salvador. There's one that was built for 6,500. It has more than 14,000 in it right now. 
Um, and what we're going to see now is we're going to, the, these are some photos of prison ministry. I did not take these. These are supplied to me by the government. We are not allowed to take any kind of photos whatsoever. But these are actually what we see when we go into these prisons. So um, they're overcrowded. Uh, I will say and give all the glory and all the honor to God. The government came to us, came to Abigail Association, asking if we would take our medical teams in to give medicines and exams to the inmates in these prisons. There's no other nonprofit organization. There is no other church allowed in prisons right now in El Salvador. That's, the, that's God. That's God moving. So we have, uh, yeah, it's him. I just want to tell you because when they ask us, would you take in our doctors? We said, of course. But we also have a ministry part of our, of our outreaches when we do that. If, you know, you guys know I said no prayer, no pill. And so I told them that, and they're like, that's fine. And so because of that, we are also able to share the gospel in these prisons. And we are seeing people come to the Lord. These inmates have realized that they're in there for 30 years and they are not, I mean, these are, these are what these guys and gals look like, okay? They have lived hard lives. They have, they have done crimes that would just make your skin crawl, okay? But do they need Jesus? Okay. So the Lord has given us an opportunity to go in to sh and to share Jesus with them. These are not easy days when we go in. We see on average about 700 patients a day when we go in. They're long days in these jails. We're in the same conditions they are. We don't get any special treatment. If you don't take your sandwich, you don't eat lunch. I mean, because we're not going to, you know, they're not getting any food right now. The treatment of these guys by the government is they're the least of the least of the least. So even the food is not good. There's tuberculosis, tuberculosis in the prisons. There's all kinds of skin infections in the prisons. Um, one prison has uh, two bathrooms for 350 men, if you can imagine that, the conditions that they're in. And so we're allowed to go in. They see our doctors, and then they pass through a ministry area, and they have a chance to receive the Lord. So that is something that the, that the, the Lord has just done that blows my mind. Um, but we're seeing all kinds of people in these prisons. I have seen U.S. citizens in, this, in these prisons, different prisons, two women who got caught in uh, something they shouldn't have been caught in, and they got uh, arrested and are in jail, two U.S. citizens. There's citizens there from Peru, there's citizens from Nicaragua, Colombia, all these different countries who have gotten caught in this special law of belonging to gangs. And so the Lord has allowed us to minister to them. Um, there's one particular story that I want to share because this really impacted me that we were in a woman's prison, okay, there, uh, this is the one that has about 14,000 women in this prison, and we were there with our doctors one day, and this, this person was coming towards me, she had asked if she could speak to me, and I'm telling myself, we're in a woman's prison, we're in a woman's prison, but this person coming towards me has a beard, and I... What I'm going to say is extremely rare in El Salvador. Transgenderism is so rare in El Salvador. Absolutely so rare. Um, homosexuality is very rare in El Salvador because of the macho society that we have. So this person came to me, and she spoke full English when she got to me. And she goes, my name is Elliot. And she said, and I'm trans. And I, I had to be honest, guys. I'm 50 years out, 15 years out of the States. I wasn't quite sure what that even meant, okay? I could see that she was, I knew she had to be a woman because they're going to check 
to make sure she's in the right prison. Let's just say it that way, okay? Um, but I knew that there was something going on. So I just prayed, Lord, you got to help me because I don't even know what to say to this person. I said, okay. I said, I, okay. I said, okay. I said, my name is Janice. And, and she continued to explain that she was in a lot of pain. Her body was in a lot of pain because she had been taking these drugs to trans to be a, to be a man. Um, but, of course, when she got into the Salvadoran prison, that stopped, and they pumped her full of estrogen. And so she, her body was hurting. And I, I, I just told her, I said, look, we don't have any of those kind of medicines for you here. We can't help you continue your process. But the Lord just gave me such a compassion for this person and to say, you know, maybe, maybe the Lord's got you in here so that you can go back to the way he created you to be and how special she was and how beautiful she was, just trying to reaffirm that to her that, you know, our DNA doesn't change. And so I talked with her for a long time, and, you know, she never shut me down. She never shut me down. And so I finally said to her, I said, well, you know, you're going to have a couple of rough months coming up, and there's one person who can help you through this, and that would be Jesus. And I said, would you really like to get to know him a little better? And her response to me was, not yet. I was excited because that's not a no. <laughs> it's not a no, right? It's not yet, okay? So I'm like, okay. So I said, can I give her a book? I mean, we're, we're still so blessed to have books given to us in Spanish by Joe Meyer Ministry. They're phenomenal in supplying us with literature. Every person in a prison gets a book. And so I gave her a book. I asked her, could I pray with her? And she said yes. And she went on her way. And so that was in March of this year, beginning of March of this year. I went back to that prison in the end of May of this year. And this person came come running up to me, still had a little bit of a beard, but she was like all bubbly. And, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? She goes, oh, I'm so excited to see you. I'm like, oh, that's great. What's going on? And she goes, I wanted to tell you something. And I'm like, tell me what? And, you know, she's full English. Thank goodness she's full English. And so she says, she says well, she says, I've received the Lord. <laughs> that was not my response. <laughs> That was not my response. My response was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was, I know, I, I'm not doubting God. I was just, I did not expect that at all. So we had a nice conversation about how she'd received the Lord. There's somebody in the prison there who has a Bible study, a woman in her cell. The cell for them have about 600 women in this one cell. So, so she was able to, to, to receive the Lord in that Bible study. She had read the book that I gave her and all these kinds of stuff. And, but then she said, so, and, and I was just encouraging her. You know, I said, now you've got time. You can read more about, read your Bible. You can study more about the Lord, all this kind of stuff. And she said something to me that really impacted me. She said, you know, nobody ever told me what I was doing was wrong. People only yelled at me and said I was going to hell and these kind of comments she was making. And that touched me because I'm like, are we, now, I was preaching to me at this time, guys, but I'm just going to share it. Are we so against people that we can't love them. I mean, that really impacted me, Pastor. Because if I had seen her out on the street, I probably would have been absolutely, I'm going to be honest, terrified not knowing what to say, which I didn't anyway, but I would not know what to say to this person. But the Lord really impacted me. So, so now her and her friend, her partner, we're trying to get her to say friend now, and her name is really Ellen, and so we're making all these changes with her. But her partner, her friend, is also in prison, another American citizen. She also has received the Lord. So there is redemption. There is redemption, okay? They're truly, really, really trying to learn to do things right. And so 
when we go into these prisons and we see these people who are going to die in these prisons, and I am not exaggerating people, they are skin and bones. You can see some of the men in those photos, they're skin and bones. They're going to die in these prisons. There's no hope. There's no due process for them. There's no judge and jury. They've already been sentenced, okay? So that's where they are. So for us to be able to go in and share the gospel is just an opportunity that we don't want to miss, so we went into one of the men's prisons. It has 4,000 inmates. We went in there a couple of weeks ago. And the day that we, we took four doctors, the day that we happened to be there, there were three governmental doctors on a rotating shift in that same prison. So they said, can we jump in and work with you guys? We're like, hey, great. We'll see more patients that way. So by noon, we had seen 606 patients. So we normally see 700 in a day. We weren't even at noon yet, okay? And so I'm like, I'm looking at the pharmacy, and I'm like, we're starting to run out of things. Um, every person needs antibiotics. Every person needs antibiotic cream. Every person needs parasite medicine, all of this. And so I'm like, we're going we're gonna to be done in a half an hour and not have any medicine to give them. So our little pharmacy lady, I said, is there anywhere here that you think near the prison that we could buy some medicine? And she goes, oh, there's a pharmacy around the corner that works with us. I'll just... Go. So her and the driver went out, and she came back with a box, one box, of 440 triple antibiotic creams. That's all she could get. So she put that box down, and we had taken a little break uh, because we were trying to figure out what to do about this. And the doctors were, the three doctors left because, okay, you guys don't have anything to work with. Our doctors, our four doctors started to complain a little bit about, well, why are we seeing these? We only, we only can give them a cream. And I pulled that team together, and I said, look, guys, if they get one cream, they go to ministry. If they get one cream, they have a chance to receive Jesus. We had to redo our focus. I don't care if they don't get every medicine they need, but they need Jesus. So we went for the rest of the afternoon and ended up seeing 991 patients that day. Some of them only got a tube of, of, of antibiotic cream. But at the same time, that day, 183 souls came to the Lord. So what's more important? What's more important? A price of a $2 tube of cream or a soul for eternity? So we really have to keep our perspective on these things. We want to share Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do in everything that we do. So if you guys, I know this church prays. I know this church prays. And I know there's people in here who pray for me every single day. Pray for our team. Pray that this door stays open. I mean, the government can change things overnight. So pray that that door stays open. Pray for our team. Pray for our resources to buy these medicines to go in. Because if they have one medicine, they get to meet Jesus. They have the opportunity to see Jesus. And so that's what we want to continue doing. All of our other ministry is growing. We're winning souls. I mean, it's just phenomenal what the Lord is doing in El Salvador right now. And uh, because of the change in the country, I was sharing with Pastor ahead of time, that right now... We're seeing, a, we're seeing a shift in El Salvador where you guys saw this shift after the Great Depression and in the 50s and 60s. Maybe people become comfortable, okay? So now there's not crime and all these things. So they're beginning to, first, they give glory to the president for what's happening in El Salvador. And they've been praying. Some of these people have been praying for 25 years for the God to change the country. Now that he has, through a man, they're giving credit to the man. We need to give credit to God, mm. 
So that's happening. And then the other thing is when people become complacent, religion and church is not as important to them as it was before. So El Salvador is the only country that says the Savior in their name. So we do not want the people to fall away. We don't want the people to fall out of love with Jesus. So those are some concerns that me as a missionary, I'm concerned about. I see these things happening. And the other thing is that, you know, the gangs are being depleted. There's estimated to be 110,000. We don't know how many there really are, but they're still arresting gang members every day, okay? But if something doesn't come in, so the gangs were filling a void, okay? These guys were looking for family. They were looking for community. They were looking for these things. The gang filled that for them. So there's other youth out there who are looking for community, looking for family, looking for a a group to hang out with, let's say. If they're not involved in a church youth group or some family-oriented group like that, they're going to get sucked into some other kind of group that may come along. It may not be MS-13 or MS-18, but you know what other religion is growing in our country is Islam. So I do not want Islam to fill that void. That's a concern I have. So we need to pray. Pray for the church in El Salvador. Pray for the pastors and the leaders of that country to just get on fire to share Jesus and to build community for these youth who are going to be looking for something. Amen? Nothing's impossible with God. He's already overcome and he wears the victor's crown, right? But sometimes we have to pray it in. We have to pray it in. So I just want to share some numbers with you because I know some people are numbers people that so far this year, as of yesterday, we've seen, <clears throat> excuse me, 17,951 medical patients. We've seen 2,127 dental patients. We've given out four free, four free, 75,330 medicines, and we have seen 2,350 souls come to Jesus. Amen. So God is really doing some amazing things. And I always think back to about 10 years ago, I really started praying for us to work with the gangs, with the male gang members. Because, like I've said, you can, you can save the drug addict. But until you save the drug dealer, the problem doesn't stop. So the same, same thing was true for the gangs. You could work with the men and women, and we did, and we were getting, wanting them to the Lord. But until we got to the male, the problem didn't stop. So we, for years, were like trying to go and find, you know, 10, 12 guys to work with. Before the pandemic, we had 30 leaders of MS-18 coming to a Bible study every 15 days. So we had little pockets of things going on. But... I feel like, and this is going to be the title of my message, I feel like the Lord has canceled the enemy's agenda, which was to kill the gang members without knowing Jesus, okay? They were going to get shot and killed on the street. But he, the Lord canceled the enemy's plan, put them all in prisons, where now they're a captive audience. There have been pastors arrested who had, they were, let's say they were gang members when they were younger, I met one, Pastor Jeremiah, he was 15 when he became a gang member, got tattooed, received the Lord when he was 22, started a church for gang members, but he's now arrested because he has tattoos, meaning he belonged to an illegal group. Even though he wasn't an active gang member, the rationale is he never paid for the the things that he did. So he's in jail for 30 years. 
So we're actually going to work with Pastor Jeremiah to get him material. What does discipleship look like in prison? It's not the same as it is when you're outside of prison. So it's like, it's like the Lord has gathered them all together in about six or seven different places. And they're going to get ministered to. They're going to have a chance to receive Jesus. It's up to them if they do or they don't. So I think that there's ways that the enemy's agenda can be canceled. And I want us to just take a few minutes tonight to talk about that because I think it's very important today that we need, we know, we need to know how to do this. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn in Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 and 12. Now, in El Salvador, they say when, they, when you have your scripture, everybody says amen. Ooh, I better wait a while. <laughs> Okay, it says in Psalm 30, chapter 11, I mean, chapter 30, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. So I want to talk just a minute here and give a little back, a little history of this, uh, talking about the sackcloth and the weaver. So when the weaver was making the sackcloth, this was done in pure silence. There was no singing. There was no music. There was no talking. And there was no joy when they were weaving this sackcloth because they knew that the person who was going to be wearing this sackcloth, was, they were going to be wearing it for a death or some event that was very painful in their life. There was not going to be any joy for the person who wore that sackcloth. And so I think that today the enemy is out to silence the church. Amen? I think that he wants to turn our garment of joy into sackcloth. He will use every trick in the book to turn our attention from Jesus to the things of this world that will weigh us down. They will make us lose our focus and eventually lose our joy so that we are wearing sackcloth. We are in mourning for what is happening in our country and in our world today. We do have a very cunning enemy. He's, he's pretty sharp. He's not as sharp as Jesus, but he's pretty sharp. And he's trying to change our focus. He's trying to change our current events to give us careless emotions. Now, what are those? Fear, anxiety, depression, anger helplessness. These are all, these are emotions that we see maybe when we're watching the news. Somebody's been watching the news or when you spend a lot of time on social media or just when you're out having, talking with your friends or when you go to Walmart, sometimes you just are overwhelmed by what you see and what you hear and these emotions start to rise up in you. That's the enemy trying to get our focus off of Jesus. Emotions like these are the most shallow part of who we are, the most shallow part. Our focus cannot be on the storm around us, nor the valley that we feel like we are sometimes in. Amen? We often feel like we're drowning in lies. We're drowning in corruption. We're drowning in politics. We're drowning in deception. Amen? We feel like we're drowning in these things. But I love the word of God because there's always a but. There's always a but and a suddenly, two of my favorite words in the Bible. So he gives us a but. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, oh, and I love it when Jesus says it too. It makes it all the better. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you'll have lies. In this world, you'll have deception. You'll have corruption. You'll have all these things. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen? How many of us believe that? Yes, all 10 of us believe that, that Jesus has overcome the world. We're just saying about it. We need to praise God for the truth and not the facts. There's a difference. There's a difference between the two. A fact is something that's indisputable. It's based on empirical research and quantifiable measurements. They are proven through calculation and experience. Those are facts. But truth is entirely different. Truth can contain a fact, but truth also contains belief. Amen? An example. A fact says that someone is not qualified for a certain job. They don't have the education. They didn't, they didn't uh, go to the right school. They're not of the right age. Whatever, so they're not qualified for that position. But truth says that that person can simply go and get qualified, and then they can fulfill the position. Okay, you see the difference. Here's another one I think we can probably all relate to. A fact says, I am broke. Amen? How many's ever been broke? That's a fact. You got no money in your pocket. You got no money in your, in your bank account. But truth says... He will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Do you see the difference? In this daily bombardment of lies, anger, slanted news, news, we tend to complain. How many of us this morning, let's be honest, this morning or yesterday were complaining about something that you heard on the news, you saw on Twitter, you were talking to somebody on social media, and you got upset? Anybody? Is it just me? <laughs> You heard something about a government official. You heard something about a politician. You heard something about some agenda that's trying to be pushed. We hear, so we tend to complain, which is normal because we see so much and we hear so much that we just tend to complain. But complaining can lead to compromise. And compromise can lead to complacency. And complacency will then lead to carnality. It's a gradual but dangerous slide from one to the other. We as Christians and the church need to shift our eyes from facts to truth. Here's what, here's what many of us do. We go into our prayer closets. How many people here pray? 25. How many people pray? We go into our prayer closets, right? But we're weaving sackcloth when we're in that prayer closet. There's no joy in praying because we're so focused on the facts. We're so focused on what's happening in the government. We're praying like, woe is me, Father, when are you going to do something? When is this going to change? Well, I don't understand. These are woe are me. These are sackcloth prayers. There's no joy in that whatsoever because we're praying the facts. Yes, World leaders are making bad decisions. Amen. We can all agree with that. But Jesus will make the ultimate decision. Amen. Yes, the economy is in the tank, but Jesus is more than enough. You have to focus on the truth and not the facts. Governments deceive and try to control with absolute authority, but all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Amen. 
That's what we have to focus on. People lie to us, and mankind has become unfaithful. But there is one who rides a white horse, and he is faithful and true. That's what we need to remember. Judges are unfair and can be bribed, but Jesus has been appointed by the Father as judge of both living and dead. The Salvadoran government says that no one gets into the jails if you're Christian or if you're a religious organization. But what does the truth say? He will open a door that no man can shut. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to focus on? Pastor, I remember 30-something years ago, I had a fact given to me that the doctor said I had ruptured two discs in my back. But truth said to me, if I could get to that church on Ninth and Cedar and those men would anoint me with oil and pray the prayer of healing, my back would be healed. And it was healed in an instant. That's, that's truth. That's the truth we need to believe. I, don't even, I haven't even had a backache in 30 years. That's the truth that we need to believe. There's so much darkness all around it, but Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. We need to look at truth. We need to look at this. The word of God is the only truth that we have. Everything else is fact. This is truth. This is truth. We can go in the rapture wearing sackcloth. I believe that. We can be unhappy Christians and still go in the sackcloth, go in the rapture in sackcloth. But could you, um, the life of joy that we have when we base our life on truth. I would rather go in the rapture jumping up and down halfway there <laughs> because I've lived a life of, on, based on truth and not on fact. When we go in to pray, Jesus gave us the perfect example. I love this. In Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret, secret will reward you openly. My favorite part of that verse is shut the door. Shut the door. We need to shut the door when we go in to pray. We need to shut the door to facts we need to open the book to truth we need to focus on truth but we if we are not in this book we don't know the truth there are 24 hours in a day if I spend one hour in this book seeking truth learning truth I've got 23 hours I'm bombarded with fact so maybe our proportions are out of line Maybe we need more time in this and less time listening to facts that will only weight us down. This is the truth. A great example of fact versus truth in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 9. Now, this is the story of, of Saul on the way to Damascus. So, um, the scripture says, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord... Do we have any of that today? He went to the high priest and asked, Damas and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, meaning they were Christians, that he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. He was going to kill them, basically is what he was going to do. And so Saul had an agenda. He had an agenda. He represented the politically correct church of his day. Okay? He was ordained by the church. He was like the ISIS of his day. 
And he was on his way to Damascus. But suddenly he heard a voice and fell to the ground. Now, I'm not going to read that, but it, we, we should probably all know if we've been in church that scales came on his eyes. He was blind for three days, but he still made his way on to Damascus, okay? But I believe while Saul was hearing from the Lord, the Lord was also talking with a man named Ananias. The Lord had told him that he was going to go pray for Saul. Now, what would we do if we were in his position? <laughs> What would we do? We'd go the other way. That's a possible answer, yes. But let's bring it down to today's terms. What would we do if the Lord told us to go pray for Joe Biden? Or the Bud Light guy? We'd laugh. But let's bring it even closer. What if the Lord told you to go pray for a councilman here in Popper Bluff? What if the Lord told you to go pray for somebody that did not know Jesus and instead of us beating them over the head, we take our time to open the book and show them the truth? That's what we need to think about. I believe that when Ananias received his message from the Lord, the church in Damascus started praying. I believe they started praying. And they were praying because they knew Saul was coming to kill them. He was coming after them. He was coming after their children. He was coming after their church. He was coming after their schools. He was coming after their way of life. Does any of this sound familiar? But God stopped the politically correct agenda before it ever got to Damascus. You see that? You see what happened? But because they were praying, but they weren't just praying, they were focusing on the truth and not the facts. The fact says they were going to die. But the truth said something else. You see the difference? When we pray, we have to focus on the truth and not the facts. We need to preach like we believe the truth. We need to pray like we believe the truth. We need to pray victoriously. We need to quote this Bible when we're praying. God doesn't need to be reminded of it, but oh, what it does to our spirit and our soul when we, when we pray the word. We need to learn how to use this weapon in prayer and pray the truth and not look at the facts. We need to pray like the saints of Damascus that stopped the enemy's agenda. He did it once, he'll do it again. <laughs> he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? We need to pray like we believe he is the great I am. I am what? It's whatever you need. <laughs> Whatever you need, that's what he is. But we need to pray like we believe that because that's what this word says, that he is the great I am. We need to pray truth. We need to believe truth. We need to preach truth. And we need to live truth. Every single day. Not just in the hour and a half on Sunday morning and the other hour and a half on Sunday night. There's so much other time that we need to be living and speaking truth. People are dying and go to hell because they've never heard the truth. They've only heard facts. We as Christians have a responsibility to share 
truth in love because that's who he is. He's a God of love. God bless you. Oh, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus right now, we come before you praying over our country. Right now we come praying that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts, that we might be missional in our approach to this world, and that we would be a living epistle, God, that everybody that looks upon us, that, Lord, we'd have an answer for the hope that lieth within us. God, I pray, Father, that we would be more than just tears of the word, but we would be doers of the word. We've been challenged by a woman that's given her life to the cause of Christ. And everything that she has preached, she lives. She's living it out in the flesh. Help us in the American church to do the same and be the same. Help us not to gripe and complain and murmur about the things that God that we don't like. But help us change things by the power of prayer and by the power of the word. You have given us dominion, you've given us authority, and you've given us power. You've given us the keys of the kingdom. And tonight, Father, we exercise our faith and we declare that those things that are not, they shall be. We declare that, God, that America will be awakened. We declare that our town, God, will be saved. We declare that, God, that you're going to move upon the hearts of men and women and children again and that crime will vanish from our streets. God, in the name of Jesus, we, 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 we believe this. I believe this. and I believe that, God, you're going to do a work in our day that we cannot even believe. Father, I believe that, God, that you have commissioned, that you've anointed, that you've called us in this last day to be the church that you have called us to be, to rise up and to be, Father, what the Holy Spirit says we can and what that, that which we are. We are the creation of God, and we are what you have declared us to be in you, and that's victorious in Jesus' name. We're victorious believers. We're victorious children of God. We are more than overcomers. We are not defeated. We, are not, we have not lost this battle. The enemy laughs and mocks. But, Lord, you sit in the heavens and say, ha, 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 for every plot and plan against us. Because, Lord, the steps of a good man are ordained of God. The rising up and the lying down is orchestrated by you. The going forth and the coming in is orchestrated by you. Father, you're the one that's the lifter up of our heads. You're the one that strengthens our feeble knees. You're the one that anoints our feet like hinds feet and lets us walk in our high places. And tonight, in the name of Jesus, I prophesy over this church that this church shall be the church and we shall have hinds feet and we will rise in the authority of Jesus Christ and we will possess the dominion that you have called us to possess. And in the name of Jesus, we shall cast out devils. In the name of Jesus, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In the name of Jesus, we shall lay hands on the blind and they shall receive their sight. We shall speak to the cripples and they shall walk. We shall 
preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We will preach holiness and truth in love. And you will give us a heart of love for the unlovable as you have loved us when we were unlovable. You're going to help us to do, Lord, that which you have called us to do. Enable us and strengthen us. Convict us of our own selves and help us, Father, to continually seek your face to fulfill the will of Christ and the destiny that's upon this church in the name of Jesus. And everybody in agreement, give, stand up and give the Lord praise like you've never praised him before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I do it again. Do it again. Praise him. Do it again. Hallelujah. Might as well do it a third time. One for the Holy Ghost, one for Jesus, and one for the Father. Hallelujah. How many believes we got victory in this house? Amen. If God can do it in El Salvador, he can do it in America. If God can do it in America, he can do it in your hometown. And if God can do it in your hometown, he can do it on your front porch. Hallelujah. Those of you that's got lost loved ones, in the name of Jesus, I declare they're coming home. God, help our families to be saved. Help our families to be saved in the name of Jesus. Let salvation ring, Father, we pray. Oh, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we praise you. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Sister Janice. What a powerful word. Now, this is the kind of missionaries you want to support, right? Amen. I want you to also hug her neck, let her know how much you love her, and tell her you'll be praying for her as she prays for us. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may you please him and walk in him in all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.